Thank you for coming to another episode of the Clay County Beacon Podcast. My name is Josh Allen, and today I have with me Dave Coughlin, a longtime Clay County resident. Uh, and Dave and I are going to talk about a subject that we're both very interested in, uh, something that he's been interested in for a long time uh, and involved with for a long time, and that is the the wonderful pesky subject of red light cameras. So first of all, Dave, thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate you coming on and spending some time with me. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat. Yeah, man. So, so there is a law in the state of Florida um, that essentially allows red light cameras, and it's called, called the Mark Wandell Traffic Safety Program, right? So I think, you know, somebody looking at that, you know, you're, they're not going to know, first of all, that it has anything to do with red light cameras. And I think people's first question would probably be, who the heck is Mark Wandell? Okay. So uh, Mark Wandell is a uh, now deceased uh, Floridian who, um, oh golly, I think back in 2003, so, you know, 17 years ago, give or take, um, uh, he died in an intersection. Uh, apparently the car he was in was uh, uh, collided with a distracted driver um, who ran a red light. And uh, his wife, who is still very active today um, and still a young woman and, and a very sympathetic figure, uh, has uh, an interest in um, keeping his name alive. And uh, the path that uh, apparently uh, you know, the red light camera industry and politicians and Mrs. Wandell have taken is to put his name on this enabling statute, which allows red light cameras uh, to operate uh, here in Florida. Now, the uh, statute, and feel free to interrupt me at any point here if I, I wander off script, but the, the Mark Wandell statute, um, it, apparently it's not enough to, uh, uh, this is a separate statute from all our other motor vehicle uh, statutes. I mean, obviously we have uh, laws that prohibit people from running red lights um, but what this statute does, uh, it, it, it steps out of the norms that law enforcement uh, adheres to with any other type of motor vehicle violation, whether it's speeding, red light camera running, improper lane changes, illegal U-turns, and I'll get into that in just a moment. But in answer to your question, Mark Wendell um, uh, is a deceased Floridian uh, whose name is memorialized on, on this traffic safety program. Um, now, uh, would you like me to get into the particulars of the statute? Well, yeah, just to, you know, my sort of view on it, that, that's good, you know, information. So essentially, you know, what, what happened to this guy, Mark Wandell, is a, is a terrible thing, right? You hate seeing anybody die in a horrific car accident, uh, especially when it's due to somebody else's negligence, right? Running a red light, crashing into this gentleman, and, and he's dead. But I think what, you know, you talked about it being a separate law. That's what sort of jumps out at me. You know, politicians are, are rarely ever ones that will let a good tragedy or or a crisis go to waste, right? So it seems like a little bit of uh, <clears throat> no disrespect to Mr. Wandell. It seems like the more I look into this, the more this was a, a knee-jerk reaction, and, and I don't think anyone really took the time to assess whether red light cameras would do anything to curb the sorts of thing, the curb accidents like 
the one that killed Mr. Wandell. So yeah, I guess the, the next logical place to go is like, what, what is the actual, what is the Mark Wandell statute have in it? Like, what does it do? What does it allow government to do? You know, what is the law? Okay. Well, first thing you need to know is this statute is almost word for word, uh, an element by element, uh, identical to similar statutes in other states that allow red light cameras, which is to say that, um, the main driver of this statute is the red light camera industry. And the 800 pound gorilla in this um, industry is a company called American Traffic Solutions, uh, also known as Vera Mobility. And whether you're talking Florida or any other state that allows red light camera uh, operations, the basic elements are Uh, You get a letter, uh, in the case of Florida, you get a letter at the 30-day point. It's referred to as a notice of violation. You don't get a notice of violation when you're doing anything else that's observed by a a law enforcement officer. A notice of violation uh, in Florida is unique to the Mark Wandell statute, and you receive it in the mail at the 30-day point. Well, who receives it? Well, the registered owner. I'm gonna back up a little bit. If you were to do a reading of the Mark Wandell statute, there are three words that that are kind of relevant when you're talking, well, that are relevant when you're talking motor vehicle violations. There's the motorist, there's the registered owner of the motor vehicle, and then there's the violator. More often than not, uh, uh, well, no, I don't even wanna say that. Um, The, in the, in the case of a motor vehicle citation being issued the old fashioned way by a law enforcement officer that witnesses it, whether we're talking you know, improper lane change, speeding, whatever, the motorist and the violator are the same person. The law enforcement officer can identify who the motorist is, he pulls them over and he issues the citation to the motorist and the motorist is now the, the violator or the accused. Sometimes the motorist is the registered owner and sometimes it isn't. Well, with the Mark Wandell statute, you have a videography of a car going through an intersection. You have no idea who the motorist is. And uh, so the statute does not even use the word motorist. Um, It uses the word registered owner six times and then it uses the word violator once. And in fact, I'm gonna read you Um, a passage from the Mark Wandell statute says within 30 days after a violation notification. Okay. That's the notice of violation that I'm talking about. It's not a citation notification must be sent to the registered owner of the motor vehicle involved in the violation, specifying the remedies available and that the violator must pay the penalty of $158. Okay, so this needs to be unpacked. You get a notice of violation at the 30-day point. It's a letter. It has the look and feel of a citation. So when you open it up, um, in the upper left-hand corner will be the logo of you know uh, either the Green Cove Springs Police Department or the Orange Park Police Department, because that's where red light cameras are operating here in Clay County. However, it'll have an address from Tempe, Arizona, which is the headquarters of American Traffic Solutions. That should be an indicator that something goofy is going on. 
you look at this notice of violation and you think you're getting a citation. So your heart skips a beat, you get nervous, you get concerned, oh gosh, I'm in trouble. And you read it further and the message of this is essentially, uh, we got you, we know it's you, we, you, know, uh, you can go to this website, look at the video of your car. And uh, however, uh, you know, instead of paying the normal $258 fine, we'll discount it to $158 if you pay now and uh, buy credit card and you won't even get points on your record. And, you know, and most, you know, 98% of the people uh, jump on that opportunity, they breathe a sigh of relief and they move on with their lives. Um, now what happens when you um, uh, say, well, no, uh, I don't think I did that. That may be my car, but uh, I don't think I did that. And I feel that the person who's driving the car should be punished. And this is where we get back to the language that I just read of the, of the citation or of the uh, statute. It says that you mail the notice to the registered owner and the violator must pay. Now, there are judges in this state and we had one, we had a municipal judge here in Clay County up until 2015 who would not make that intellectual leap from registered owner to violator. And as a result, if you, if you said, I'm gonna challenge this in his courtroom, you stood a very high likelihood of getting the, the ticket dismissed. Um, probably before you could finish the words, uh, not guilty, your honor. Right, because the, the statute seems to be, and I don't know if this is the intention, but when I read it, and I think when, when folks that are sort of like-minded as you and I read it, the statute wants you to, to logically assume that the registered owner of the vehicle is the violator. So it's, it's worded in such a way to sort of guide you down a path to say, the registered owner is sent a, a you know, citation or whatever this is called, notification, uh, and therefore the violator must pay. It, it sort of leads you down the path where they want you to assume that the violator is the uh, owner of the vehicle that's received this notice. Correct. And so what you have here, and it, again, it depends upon who the judge is in the county that deals with these things. Should they even uh, go to a, a trial? And some judges will say, um, you know, I'm not going to make that intellectual leap. The state has to prove uh, who the violator is. And then there are other judges that say, well, uh, the statute uh, allows me to make this assumption. I'm not going to put that burden on the state, which is out of alignment with the way motor vehicle uh, citations are handled outside of the Mark Wandel statute. I don't know if you've ever challenged a speeding ticket or any other sort of citation, um, but it's pretty much the same in any state. Uh, you show up in the courtroom, you have notes because, oh, by the way, uh, usually you get your citation when you get it the old fashioned way, you get it within 10 minutes of the violation. So you have a memory of what occurred and you can take contemporaneous notes. And that's another problem with this is your inability to take contemporaneous notes. Who remembers details like road conditions and the angle of the sun and other jarring events 30 days later? Right. Yeah, right. And, and you know, it, it's, 
it's created this extra step where this company, because the, the company that the municipalities have contracted with, and usually it's this uh, American Traffic Solutions, but in a handful of other places outside of Clay County, it's different companies. The company is sending you the notification. They've got the seal of the, the municipality on this notice, but this company is saying basically, hey, if you don't pay us this money, we're going to tell the cops in your area that you did a thing, and then you know, you're know you going to have to deal with the consequences. Um and I think, you know, to me, I agree with you there. I think that's problematic. Like, who, who, are, who is this Who is this third party, this company, this corporation, and what right do they have to try to enforce a law, um, whether it's traffic or otherwise? It, you know, is the question that pops into my mind. Well, I'll, I'll frame it a little differently. Um, you know, imagine you received a letter from a concerned neighbor uh, saying that they saw you do something bad, whatever that is. And... Um, uh, but you know what? I won't tell the cops uh, it, it, as long as you pay me off. Well, we have a word for that. You know, it's it, it's called extortion uh, or or bribery. Um, uh, you know, it's a shakedown. Yeah, it's also the way the the organized crime works. Like it's the way the mob works. Well, you know. now now that you mention organized crime, uh, if you follow the money flow, now we're kind of going off uh, a script here, but. Uh, uh, now, this is very interesting because the economics of the Mark Wandel statute uh, pretty much work like, as I said, the vast majority of these citations are paid on the notice of violation, which I remind you again is not a citation. We'll get to that a little later. So let's take Orange Park, for example. Uh, roughly 30 to 32 citations a day, or excuse me, um, notices of violation go out for every day of, of traffic. So in other words, there's about 32 hits every day uh, here in Orange Park. Multiply that by $158, multiply that by 365 uh, days a year. You're, you're talking a number north of $1.6 million. A little bit, about 52% of that will go to the state of Florida. And then of the remaining 48%, give or take, about half of that will go to the red light vendor um, as a subscription fee. Um, so in the case of Orange Park, there's give or take $400,000 that Orange, the city of Orange Park gets to spend. Um, they don't spend it on making improvements at these problematic intersections, probably because they are not problematic. Um, and, and I'm going to also inject here that in since nine, since 2007, I have data going all the way back to 2007, and we're going to use 2013 was about around the time uh, Orange Park implemented their red light cameras. So from 2007 to 2018, it's the latest scrub data I have from Florida Department of Transportation. There have been zero fatalities in Orange Park, same for Green Cove, zero fatalities related to red light running collisions. Um, there have been some injuries and there have been collisions, but there have been zero fatalities. Okay, let's get back to my uh, point here. So this $400,000 is, you know, is, I mean, if people were actually dying in these intersections, I think there would be a lot of pressure on the city of Orange Park and the city of Green Cove to figure out what the engineering solution needs to be to fix the intersection, but people are not dying. And injuries are pretty darn low. 
Um, I'm, you know, I'll spare you the numbers here. It'll drive you nutty if I do that right now. But uh, my argument is it's not really a problem. And it's very difficult to argue that these, uh, if you look at the data, that um, these cameras are reducing the few collisions that are occurring. Um, I mean, I'm looking at Orange Park data from 2008 to 2012 before they installed the red light cameras. Uh, in order here, uh, collisions, 16, 25, 9, 15, 25. Those are the, that, you know, that's the order of collisions prior to 2013. 2013 to 2018, 32, 30, 29, 46, 28, 32. So, you know, pre-2013, Orange Park had 25 or fewer collisions per year. Post-2013, 29 or more collisions, or 28 or more collisions per year. So you can say one of two things. The data is inconclusive, or it's only gotten worse. But you cannot say that the red light cameras have saved lives or reduced um, collisions. Do you think any of that is due to increased traffic or population vote or population growth um, in, in Okay, so uh, I actually have throughput data going all the way back to 2003, uh, both for uh, Kingsley and Highway 17 in the vicinity of Kingsley. Um, Kingsley, uh, as measured near Clark Park, you're talking about uh, uh, anywhere from 33 to 35,000 uh, uh, cars uh, every day. And that has actually dipped a little bit in the uh, mid to late uh, uh, part of the first decade, you know, around 2006, 2007. But for the most part, it has been, you know, hovering around 35,000 cars ever since 2003 per day. Okay. Same for uh, Green Cove uh, in the vicinity of where Governor and Green Cove intersect, a little less down at Ferris at the south end. Um, back to Orange Park at the Kingsley uh, 17 intersection, uh, it's been hovering around 55,000 fairly steadily for the last 17 years. So uh, you cannot make the argument that there is any correlation between, well, that first off, you can't make the argument that uh, traffic has has varied dramatically on a daily basis over the last 17 years. And to the extent it has varied, you cannot make the argument statistically. And, and you know, you're bringing up another topic here. The city of Orange Park and the city of Green Cove have never uh, employed the services of a firm that does operations analysis, ops re research. I mean, the way this works, I mean, imagine if you wanted to open you know, a retail establishment on Highway 17, whether it's a fast food joint or a car wash. Um, there are people you can go to that will tell you uh, how much traffic you can expect in your retail establishment just based on the, um, the dynamics, in particular the, the automotive traffic going past your retail location. And that, that's where American Traffic Solutions comes in. They look for, they have their criteria. They look for uh, uh, opportunities like Orange Park where you have a really tiny, I mean, there's only about 1200 people in the city of Orange Park who vote in Orange, you know, whenever they're, and the only time they vote is when uh, uh, there's a town council election. Right. 
Yeah, no disrespect to Orange Park, but it's not, you know, it's not a major city, right? It's a town. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So you got a population of maybe 8,500 people, 1,200 of whom vote. Okay. And, but they control an artery that has 55,000 cars passing through every day. Most of those motorists driving through the municipality of Orange Park don't live in Orange Park. They don't vote in Orange Park. And so you can presume that the vast majority of those 33 tickets a day, so 11,000 tickets a year, are not being issued to Orange Park voters. Right. So that's a very healthy dynamic if you want a successful, and I put quotation marks around the word successful, red light camera regime. Right. Um, I mean, if the sheriff of Clay County said, I want to put red light camera, uh, cameras up, and they never have said that because they know that would be a political issue. They would get them voted out um, in the next election because they'd be angering so many constituents. Right. The people that, that would vote in that election would be driving through most of those intersections. Um, right. and, and I think what I, what I hear you saying is that <clears throat> the majority of the tickets in Orange Park or even in Green Cove that are being given out um, are not going to residents in those two towns. So it's not really, there's no detriment to those to most of the folks in that town. Um, and you know, it, it, it helps entrench the, the red light camera system. And, it, and it's a way that the companies who are selling these red light cameras, you know, it, it makes them have to worry less about people voting them out because the people who are doing the actual voting, like you said, predominantly are not the ones that are getting the tickets. And to build on that, you know, there are areas in Florida just in the last few years where, red light camera operations were shut down. Well, where that has occurred was where it was done on a very large scale. Um, uh, Ocala, um, Miami-Dade, um, uh, Pinellas County. Um, in none of those cases where the red light cameras, you know, were shut down, um, you know, did those pro did those communities have a profile similar to Orange Park and, and Green Cove, which, right. you know, pardon me for being, you know, some people say, you know, this is a foul, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. Um, I mean, this is, this has many of the same similarities to Waldo and Lottie and Hawthorne. And you know, this, you know, the backstory on the, on those communities, um, you know, they raised a, a lot of money, uh, Know, catching uh, motorists speeding through their town. Well, what it was is is those places put laws and statutes and, and processes in place <clears throat> to penalize people and make money for the town. They're, they're, they're in those towns, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily true about Orange Park and Green Cove, but in those towns, the goal was to generate revenue even at the expense and the harm that was being done to the, the people that were passing through. And, and it was really, a they were preying on their visitors to because they, you know, no offense Waldo, but there there is nothing in Waldo of value that would make me want to stop there and, and you know, do anything that would generate revenue for that town. So they, they found a, you know, they found a cash cow. And, and I don't, again, I don't know if Orange Park in, in Green Cove, I don't know if it was their intention. I don't know if that's why they have these cameras, but it the, it definitely feels as though they, the municipal governments of Green Cove Springs and Orange Park very much like the money that they get from these uh, red light cameras. And that makes the, the, legislators for those two little towns um very very hesitant to even entertain conversation about getting rid of 
the cameras, um, you know, with, with folks like you or whomever else has brought it up. Cause I know you've been fighting this fight for at least what, three, four, five years, if not longer. Um, you know, and, and you can just, you know, it's just a shame that money is put before, you know, the, the thought that like, what is government's job? Like the government's job is not to just create laws and structure to, to take money from its citizens, you know, to give the government money that, that, that shouldn't be, that should not be the function of a government. So every every three years, so the most recent renewal of the red light camera contract in Orange Park occurred, let me get my facts straight, um, actually early this year in 2020. So, and these are three-year contracts. Um, and prior to the renewal, um, I sat down with all the town councilmen and I showed them data and so forth. And of course, uh, if you have to argue something before the town council, you know, when they're actually getting ready to make a vote, well, then you've lost the battle already because they pretty much made up their mind by that point. Right. Um, but you go, you have the opportunity to go on record, but the, um, uh, the, yeah, it is interesting. Uh, you can tell them, you can show them the data. Look, it's not saving lives. Uh, it's not reducing collisions. Um, you're not spending money on repairs. And uh, all you get is kind of a head nod, you know, no response. And, uh, and they go ahead and uh, uh, vote to renew. Uh, it was reported in Clay today, three or four years ago, that uh, our police chief in Orange Park um, uh, wanted to keep the cameras running because they would afford him the opportunity to hire another investigator. And I'm thinking, well, shouldn't there be a link between the revenue that's being generated and solving the problem, assuming there is a problem? Right. And there isn't. Um, one topic I do want to touch on, I want to get back to uh, judges and the legal aspect and, and how this uh, kind of get back to the statute. So there's a very small percentage of people who say, I'm gonna fight this. And so what you do is you just ignore the notice of violation. It's not a legal document, it's a blackmail document sent to you by the vendor. So at the 60 day point, you receive your citation. And this, you know, let's think about this. No law enforcement officer who has any self-respect will pull a motorist over and say, by the way, um, I saw you uh, make an illegal U-turn two months ago. Um, I'm just now getting around to giving you your citation. Here it is. Uh, if he did, I don't think you would have any problem getting the judge to dismiss it uh, in court simply by saying, you know, this was a, not a timely service. Um, but somehow or another, we find this acceptable because uh, the video is so compelling. And, and I want to talk about compelling video. Uh, about a year and a half, well, no, almost two years ago in the January, in January of 2019, uh, there was a viral that went video uh, from the uh, annual March for Life up in Washington, D.C. Uh, you had a bunch of uh, high school boys from Covington, Kentucky. Uh, they were wait waiting for a bus in front of the Lincoln Memorial. And uh, the, the initial narrative and the initial video uh, tried to present this uh, 
narrative that uh, an American Indian was being prohibited from walking up the steps by these, I don't know, 20, 25 boys you know, to the Lincoln Memorial. Well, anybody who's been to the Lincoln Memorial would tell you it's an enormous monument. It would take probably 2,000 people to surround it to prevent one person from walking up. Uh, so that was, that was a, a nutty narrative. But because the videography was only about a minute long and it was a very narrow field of view, um, it, was, it was very effective. You had these, uh, you know, school-aged boys with smirks on their faces, ostensibly wearing mega hats, and you had this uh, much older American Indian pounding a drum face-to-face, uh, nose-to-nose with one of the boys. And you could only wonder what happened before and what happened afterward. Well, there was a video that was released several days later that covered several minutes, a much wider field of view. It told them an entirely opposite story. It was a story of you had these boys waiting for a bus. You had some Hebrew Israelite agitators off, off camera pretty much taunting the boys. Um, and then this American Indian enters the picture and walks up to the boys on his own volition. Um, if he really wanted to go to the top of the uh, steps, he would have had a much more direct route by not going through the boys who were really just waiting for a bus. And, and those boys took no extraordinary measures to prevent this Indian from doing anything. Long story, but the point is videography is not irrefutable. Um, you can limit it in time and field of view and tell a certain story. Uh, our, our own state attorney, Melissa Nelson, spoke to the Republican Men's Club back in June, talking about body camera footage and how you know the public is moved by body camera footage and wants, you know, especially in this era of alleged police brutality, the public wants body cam videos released right away so that they can arrive at their own conclusions. And she was speaking from the point of view of an attorney and essentially saying, these body cams, they're very useful. They tell part of the story, but they never tell the full story. And that's the same thing with these uh, uh, red light cameras. You have a camera with about a 35 degree cone. And interestingly, it has no audio on it. Well, why is that? Huh. Yeah, I, mean, I wonder why. law enforcement officer goes to defend a ticket that he issued a citation on, he should be able to speak to um, the presence of uh, an emergency vehicle that might not have been in, you know, it might have been several blocks away. I mean, if, let's put it this way. If a law enforcement officer shows up in a courtroom to defend his issuing a citation, and you find out that he has no peripheral vision and he, he, he is deaf, I think you would be able to say to the judge, your honor, I motion, I would like to have this ticket dismissed. I don't think that this law enforcement officer is qualified to be a law enforcement officer. So why do we accept these, these videos that don't even have audio and don't capture <clears throat> um, jarring events that occur outside the field of view? because it's very compelling. And, uh, uh, and, and if you do make such an argument, if you do um, make a petition, uh, 
<laughs> pardon me, on technical grounds like this, then you encounter another issue. Um, and this goes back to the Pam Bondi days. <clears throat> um, I'll spare you the long story, but there was a case that got some traction. Um, there was an argument. It was not a constitutional argument, but it was an interesting argument. It got traction down in uh, Hollywood, Florida, <clears throat> and it was used again, <laughs> excuse me, in two other areas in South Florida. <clears throat> and all three of these cases went to their respective district courts. Now, this is another question I have for you. Pardon me for coughing. <clears throat> have you ever heard of a municipality? I mean, traffic tickets get dismissed from time to time in municipal court. Have you ever heard of a municipality saying, I don't like the outcome of that, um, that challenge. I'm going to appeal it. No, it's a traffic violation, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've never heard of that, but I, I'll admit that my, you know, my, uh, my experience is limited, but it seems, you know, it seems like something that I would imagine does not happen very yeah. often. But when it's a red light camera citation getting dismissed, um, especially when it's being dismissed based on some novel argument, well, that is precedent setting, at least in that county, and that's what happened in Hollywood, Florida in 2000, I think 13, um, a fellow named Aram, and we'll get into the details, but he had a novel argument and the municipal judge accepted that argument and dismissed the ticket. Well, the city had one of two options, stop issuing red light camera citations or, um, or fight it. And I'm sure they used the resources of, of American traffic solutions to fight it. So it went to district court and it was upheld. The uh, dismissal was upheld in district court. Well, that said shockwaves all the way to Tallahassee. So Pam Bondi <clears throat> told her uh, assistant attorney general for civil litigation. And why civil litigation? Because in Florida, and this is another conversation, traffic violations, despite the fact that you plead guilty or not guilty are actually civil, uh, uh, civil uh, cases. Um, I'll get into why that's problematic later if we have time and if you care. But let's let's walk the dog on this. So there's a guy in Tampa. He's the Florida Assistant Attorney General for Civil Litigation. His name is Robert Dietz. He's still in that job. And his job is to stop all novel arguments and especially constitutional challenges to the Mark Wandel statute wherever they may arise. So if you were to go into any municipal court in any county, let me back up. If you were going, if you were to challenge a red light camera citation in any of the counties that still has have them here in Florida, not all counties do, and you were to um, have a novel argument or a constitutional challenge, Robert Dietz is going to be contacted by the judge and Robert Dietz will formally request a postponement of the hearing so that he can bring his uh, high-powered attorneys in as well as representatives from American Traffic Solutions and make this a day and a half long exercise for the defendant, which gets expensive. And so now nobody can afford to challenge these tickets unless they just want to go in and, and whine and complain to the judge, they'll let you do that because you'll always lose when you do that. 
<clears throat> so uh, the there's a technical problem with these cameras in that they don't capture the whole picture. And there's a constitutional problem in that uh, you have a massive time late. You don't have the opportunity as the accused to take contemporaneous notes. And if you, if you bring that up on due pro, if you challenge it on due process grounds, you're going to be met with, um, a very expensive task at the trial level. So, uh, uh, it, you have a lot of hurdles to overcome. And because, and even though Ashley Moody is our new um, uh, attorney general, she apparently doesn't have any interest in taking this on or changing the uh, rules of engagement for her assistant attorney general for civil litigation. Um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll breathe for a second here and you can ask me another. Question. Yeah. So, yeah. So it sounds like what <laughs> this is, you know, there, there's always these high level talks, especially during a presidential election year of <clears throat> socialism versus capitalism. And, 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 you know, everyone wants to say we have one or the other, but really what you just described is a very good description of the way government at the state uh, and federal and sometimes even the local level works. What we have is cronyism. We have a company, American Traffic Solutions, using their money and influence and power to get the government to squash <clears throat> citizens' challenges to a, a law that, that may very well violate the Constitution of the state of Florida, right? Um, and I say may very well because I know that uh, at some point uh, – you know, at some point, I forget what year it was. There, there was actually a challenge up to the Florida State uh, Supreme Court about red light uh, cameras, and the state uh, Supreme Court upheld uh, the laws. Um, you know, it's just it's very frustrating. You know, it, it, you know, and it's just it's time and again, money and power and influence. You know, these companies. Uh, put pressure on the government and they, they, they have friends, you know, that are politicians and they, they come in and do things like this. So I guess like, uh, I don't know, man, I guess my next question is like, what, what's a way, is there a path forward to, to undo this law or overturn it, repeal it, whatever, um, to get rid of these traffic cameras and make it so that, you know, people aren't essentially having their money stolen by local governments via red light cameras? Like, is, is there a, is there a fix? Like, how do we fix it? Okay, um, before I tell you how to fix it, and I'm not, and uh, it'll be an uphill battle, uh, whatever the roadmap is to fixing this uh, will be an uphill battle, but I'll, I'll speak to that in a moment. I want to piggyback on a few points you made. So, <clears throat> uh, just as an example, if you were to go to Northern Virginia, you would see these um, uh, bicycle stands where you can rent a bicycle, and they're usually located on public land somewhere and you look at that and you go okay that looks to me to be a public private partnership uh, this municipality has allowed a private vendor to put these bicycles in, a, in essentially a vending machine oper uh, uh, environment so that people can rent a bike go see the local area and put it back and 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 you know when we see that's what we think of when we think of a public-private partnership, some sort of enterprise that benefits the public 
and allows private enterprise to thrive. Well, this is also a public-private uh, partnership where you have a vendor and the state. And I explain the economics here. Uh, and this, it, it, and you mentioned the word racket earlier. I mean, this is your classic uh, 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 patronage racket where uh, people who are doing the shaking down, the local municipality, they collect a lot of money, but they got to, you know, uh, forward about three quarters of it up the up the stream there, so that they could have the protection of people like Pam Bondi and, and uh, Ashley Moody and and. Um, uh, I say the people who are getting protected are the municipalities, not the motorists, so that the municipalities can shake down motorists. Politics. Um, American Traffic Solutions is very clever and very judicious how they give away money. Um, they don't give it, they generally don't give money to anybody in the Florida House. Every year, uh, every year within about first, the first five minutes of the Florida House commencing their session, they will near unanimously pass a bill to um, uh, repeal the Mark Wandel statute. So everybody in the House has top cover. They can say, yeah, I voted against it. It's a terrible thing. The problem is when it goes to the Senate, the Senate president burdens the, the companion bill with um, three, four, five committees. Um, and it's got to get through all the committees and it never does. So it always dies in the Senate. So what typically happens, and it's happening right before our very eyes, if you were to go do a search, you'd find that uh, this representative Sabatini uh, somewhere here in Florida, he's all outraged about the Mark Wandel statute. Well, good for him. Uh, he's going to sponsor uh, a repeal bill in the House. Well, good for him. And we can expect probably uh, in the first week of uh, the House meeting, it will um, be repealed and it'll be reported that way. It, most people will think the bill has uh, been successful, but because the media never says, oh, yeah, it has to go through the Senate and, and then they never follow up on that. And what will happen, uh, you know, it'll have to go through obviously the transportation committee and then some other committees that have nothing to do with um, motor vehicles or red light cameras and that's some sort of economic and tourism committee perhaps um, whatever it takes to kill the bill and uh, that's where the money gets spent um, and it's spent yes you know, pretty evenly i mean you know if there are more republicans in, uh, in the senate which there are now They'll get more of the money, but Democrat, the right Democrats and the right Republicans will get the money. Um, our state senator um, historically has taken money from American Traffic Solutions. Um, I have talked, uh, well, of course, he's now um, moved on and his wife is our state senator. I presume she'll carry on his line of thinking. Yes, I'm sure the, the newly coronated queen will, uh, you know, continue her, the king's uh it remains Political to be ambitions, seen. right? We'll see, but, but it remains to be seen. I mean, uh, now we're getting into probably don't have time for this. But, yeah, don't get me wound up on that, Dave. I, I could go all day talking about the, you know, the, but, the nepotism and cronyism in that in that area. Uh, so but, if you're listening, Rob Bradley, you know, I see you, buddy. I see you. Uh, but American Traffic Solutions, uh, the Fiorentino Group, um, which gives out money mainly to Republican candidates. Um, uh, they're all on the same page when it comes to the Mark Wandel statute. It's it's not in their interest to have the Mark Wandel statute go away. 
Um, and if it does come down to a vote in the Senate Transportation Committee or any other Senate committee, um, well, I'll be there to speak on it. And uh, Mrs. Wandell will be there. And oh my gosh, you can hear the violins uh, when she talks about the suffering she went through when her husband died, which has nothing to do with public safety. Right. And, and no disrespect to her. Yeah. Like, you know, that, that, that is not a statement that is meant to, you know, I don't mean to speak for you, but when I say things like that, that I, I don't mean that to diminish what she went through in any way, shape or form, but one person going through a thing that was terrible and awful doesn't excuse a bad law. And, and this statute, in my opinion, is a bad, it's a bad law. It's poorly written. It's ambiguous in ways that it should not be ambiguous. Like it's just, it's a bad law and, and we can't legislating on a motion you know, is, is, uh, is not good. She's not good. So, uh, back to remedies. So yeah, one remedy is to, you know, uh, hope that, uh, our, our state senators get religion and, uh, this, uh, this bill somehow makes it through four or five committees in a three month session of, of the Senate. Uh, not likely it hasn't for the last six years. Another remedy might be, and again, you got to get somebody to sponsor a bill and every representative and senator has a quota of how many, you know, they can't just, I think they get six or seven bills they can sponsor in any season. So, uh, you know, having someone sponsor a bill that says, for example, all motor vehicle citations must be issued to the motorist within 10 minutes. That would be a good rule. Um, Good luck getting someone to sponsor a bill that says that, but that would be a very good standard. It's sort of a de facto standard, except for the Mark Wandell statute. Yeah, I think there's a, a couple other exceptions, you know, um, complicated traffic crashes with fatalities. You know, I've, I've, I've seen instances where a driver wasn't necessarily immediately charged, but, but they but the driver did in those instances have a chance to immediately go on record with the police officer and say, here's what I saw. Here's what happened to me. They were also able, like you've talked about before to, to take record and take note of all the other, you know, circumstances that were going on that might have added to that, you know, accident or, or whatever occurring. Um, but, but yeah, I think for the most part, you know, that would be a good standard, but I, I agree with what you're saying, you know, good luck. Uh, you know, good luck to, to whatever uh, state level politician is is uh, brave enough to try that. Now, you had mentioned um, uh, the Supreme Court case, and that was in uh, that was finally heard in oral arguments in 2000, February of 2017. That was the Aram case that I told you about. Right. And uh, that was. Uh, uh, not a constitutional case. A lot of people think that when a case goes to any Supreme Court, whether it's a state or, you know, the SCOTUS, that, oh, well, this, you know, uh, however however it goes, uh, whichever direction the, the ruling goes, it's, it's a constitutional issue. Well, this was not a constitutional. Oftentimes, cases go before a state Supreme Court or SCOTUS because there is disagreement among the appellate courts one appellate court rules one way and another one rules another way. And that's what happened with the Aram case, which was a novel defense based on uh, other Florida statutes, um, but it was not a constitutional case. And this is frustrating for you know, advocates such as I, 
uh, because you have idiots who are who have titles such as city manager running around saying, oh, well, we can do this. We can run red light cameras in our city because the Florida Supreme Court says it's constitutional. And that is incorrect. Um, so there's misinformation out there. Um, but anyway, getting back to remedies. Yeah, one remedy, it would be a, a political remedy. Well, good luck getting our uh, state senator to sign on to um, uh, repealing the Mark Wandell statute. Another remedy would be, um, yeah, uh, fork over the money. Find find a citizen who gets a red light camera violation who's willing to spend maybe $10,000 at the trial level to argue um, uh the two points that I made earlier. One, the cameras don't tell the whole story and here's why. And two, um, uh, you're not even issuing, the state hasn't met any burden of proof or any any, bur any burden of proving who the motorist is. Oh, by the way, let's talk burden of proof. May I? Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay. So I told you earlier, technically, well, not technically, uh, in reality, these are civil uh, charges, violations, whatever you want to call it. It's actually kind of a misnomer. So uh, some states, some states, not many, but some states treat all motor vehicle violations as criminal violations. The lowest form of criminal violation, even lower than a misdemeanor, but criminal nonetheless. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, that's a good thing if you're the accused because that puts that raises the the burden of proof to beyond a stand. Uh, what is it? Beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. That's the burden that the state has to make. Beyond a reasonable doubt, this person committed this violation. Well, that's problematic. Uh, so a lot of states say uh, we can't meet that burden. We'll call it a civil violation or some variation on a civil violation. So they come up with this hybrid approach. You still plead guilty or not guilty as if it were a criminal event. You're still punished like it's a criminal event, um, but it's, you know, it, they call it a civil violation. Now, if you were to uh, uh, allege that you performed a service for, for me and I didn't pay you and we had to settle this in, in front of a judge, that would be your classic civil case. It's not a guilty, not guilty situation. Uh, you would just simply say, I think uh, uh, I'm the plaintiff and the defendant here uh, owes me money, Your Honor. And I intend to prove, um, and the standard there is uh, 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 with a preponderance of evidence, which is lower than um, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, that he owes me money. And the state would prefer to go with preponderance of evidence than beyond a reasonable doubt. So we have that problem, um, that it's a lower standard of, of proof. Um, if, if we simply migrated all our traffic laws to the lowest form of criminal, like some states do, um, that would put a lot of uh, pressure uh, on getting rid of these red light camera citations. I don't yeah. expect that to occur either yeah because uh you know i won't tell you i know but i know from personal experience that the the video slash pictures that you get when you get one of these notifications you know 
you cannot tell in any way, shape, or form who who is or is not driving that car. And and I believe that that's why the statute's written the way it is, <clears throat> where it says the owner of the vehicle. I think because they know the limitations of the technology, there's no way to really prove with the way it's set up now. There's no way to really prove who's driving that car. Um, yeah. You know. Let me speak to that. You you can with more cameras uh, establish uh, a, you know positive visual identification of the motorist right. in many cases, not always. California um, took that step about 13 years ago. Uh, California said, "Look, if you're going to do this, uh, you got to be able to visually uh, positively identify who the motor." Okay, fine. Uh, so it costs a little bit more money, but uh, some additional cameras were put at the intersections. And uh, still, you know, if someone was wearing a ball cap or a Groucho Marx mask or whatever, or had the visor down, um, that became a problem. And it just got too expensive. And so red light cameras, though they're still allowed, are not even really uh, existent anymore in, in California. Right. Florida doesn't want to have to face, you know, a, a system of fair play like that. Um, and so these conversations are kept out of the, the political sphere. Um, there was another point I want to make here and back to civil cases and there's a word that has uh, many engaged people in the last two or three weeks have heard this word and that's the word standing. We've heard that in, as we know, our president has been filing uh, a number of uh, lawsuits in various states, different courts. And uh, they're not getting any traction because of so-called standing. What is standing? Well, in a civil case, um, you that's like the first thing that has to be established. Were you harmed? Can you demonstrate, Mr. Plaintiff, that you have been harmed economically or in some fashion by the defendant? If you cannot... It, if you cannot make that argument, we cannot proceed. Well, this is why uh, the uh, this making motor vehicle violations or traffic violations a civil um, case is problematic in states like Florida. Because let's say, for example, you make an illegal U-turn, an improper lane change, you're five miles over the speed limit, whatever. What harm, what economic harm, what harm writ large has the municipality or the jurisdiction that's accusing you experiencing? They may be frustrated because you're breaking their rules, but what harm has, caused, has been caused? Unless, of course, there's a collision, then that's a different issue. But simply running a red light, how does the state establish standing? And there is no answer to that. They don't. They don't right. establish standing. And that is why we should not. But the state wants to keep it in the civil sphere because of the low burden of proof. Right. Uh, yeah, it's the no. same sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's different in many ways. But <clears throat> there was some... Fuhrer over, and I forget where it was, a, a recent arrest of someone who was arrested only for resisting arrest. And they weren't charged with a crime. They were arrested for resisting, resisting arrest. Well, how can you resist arrest if you weren't arrested for anything other than resisting arrest, right? How, how does the state establish that harm was done if you weren't actually 
doing the thing that you were supposedly, you know, trying to resist. So, yeah, it's this conundrum of, <clears throat> the, the. I mean, essentially everything we've talked about, the powers that be in the state, both at the local and the state level, <clears throat> do not want to interrupt the cash cow that has been created via these red light cameras. I mean, that's that's my opinion, right? But I believe that that opinion is is largely accurate. I mean, we're talking a hundred million dollar a year, if not more, at this point, industry <clears throat> or, or revenue stream for the the state and local level. And you know, it's just it, it's a shame. It's a shame that it's a shame that a thing exists and and people are giving people are having their money taken by the state just so the state can have more money, right? Like, and uh, in, in so with something that's like a traffic citation, it, yeah, it just doesn't, I don't know, man, just doesn't sit right with me. Well, I have exhausted all my talking points. Is yeah. are there any questions I can answer? No, man, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, keep, keep, uh, keep me informed personally of when, uh, you know, if there is a hearing on this uh, Anthony Sabatini bill, if I can at all, I would like to actually attend that and, and you know, uh, see what that process is like because it's fascinating to me. Um, but I appreciate your time, um, you know, and, and we may have you back on again. Maybe, you know, maybe Sabatini will be successful in, in a way that no one else has been in the past. And, you know, maybe we can uh, do a victory episode if that happens. So other than that, man, I appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, um, hopefully hopefully one day we won't have to talk about this anymore. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Josh. Uh, look forward to talking again. Take care.